You're listening to Church Unplugged, the podcast of Christ Community Chapel. In each episode, we look at questions and topics that are related to our faith in Jesus and to the way that it plays out in our everyday lives. This is a special episode. This month of June marks the 40th anniversary of Christ Community Chapel. And so for this episode, we've brought on Jim College, who is our founding pastor. He started the church 40 years ago, and he came on to uh, tell us the story of starting the church and then seeing it grow into the church that it has become today. This is a little bit of a longer episode, just so you know, longer than our usual episode, but worth the time to hear how God has been faithful to his church uh, throughout the last 40 years and then to see how God is moving in and through this church as we head into the future. So welcome in to Church Unplugged. All right, welcome into Church Unplugged. I'm Jimmy Cozy, part of the leadership team here at CCC. Uh, I've got with me today Joe Coffey, our lead pastor, Zach Wyrock, who's another member of our leadership team, and then Jim College, who is our founding pastor, who started this church uh, 40 years ago. This is a special episode. We are celebrating CCC's 40th anniversary this summer. So uh, we're having Jim come on. He's going to tell us about how the church started, and we're going to just hear kind of the story of how God has worked in and through him and through this church over the last 40 years, which have been a great 40 years of ministry. So that's our starting point. Jim, welcome. Um, first question that I wanted to ask was just, you know, you've been in ministry for a long time. Uh, how did you end up deciding to become a pastor? What was that like? What was that process like? What were you like before that? Can you tell us a little bit about that time? Yeah, that's a really good question because oftentimes I get younger guys asking me, well, how do you know? And uh, I'd always thought about earlier about being impressed upon, but I really think the older I get that it is a calling from God. And I know that sounds somewhat mystical, but I don't think anybody can can move into pastoral ministry without a sense of God's call in his life. And that can happen in a number of ways. Um, and for me, it just happened to be, I'll call it circumstances of my life at the time, where I was being influenced by a man who was discipling me, who cared about me, who loved me and taught me well, and some um, men who were pastoring the church that my wife and I were attending at the time that modeled what it meant to be a pastor. So it was attractive, but uh, it was also one that took a lot of consideration as far as the move of God in me. Well, you were in the midst, uh, you weren't like starting out a career. You had, uh, you were a, a school teacher, you had uh, Barb and at least two of your girls, right? Uh, well, <laughs> all that correct, except for the, the, we had our first child and Barb was pregnant. Okay. With our second. When I came home, um, well, let me, I was yeah, watching. I'm curious about what this conversation was like. Well, it was interesting because because I was, what really drove me to get into the Word of God and to study and to accept the invitation to be disciples was I was watching a commercial on television. I mean, watching a commercial, which was, it all of a sudden in the middle of it caught me and I thought, what am I doing? Um, but that's another whole other story. Um, Wait, what commercial? You can't just leave it like that. Well, you, you, <laughs> it was a cat food commercial, okay. and I don't like cats. <laughs> um, and it was just, it just was. When over you the said edge. calling could take many forms, I, <laughs> yeah. I did not have it, cat food commercial no, down it no. as one. Not many do, uh, but that moved me into this 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 new stage. And I was teaching school at the time, and I loved it. And I remember going, when I was starting to sense that uh, 
God was directing me towards uh, preparing for ministry, I was thinking, my goodness, I, I, we had bought a house just a couple of years before. We were starting our family. Now I'm going to uproot this and, and take my wife away and uh, to another place in seminary. And uh, so I went to my pastor. That's what people do, by the way. They go to their pastor to make hard decisions. And um, I remember sitting in my pastor's office and um, he asked me a question. He said, do you think you could have married anyone else but Barbara? And I thought, well, that's us. I'm asking you, should I go to prepare for a ministry? And but he asked me that question, and I sat there and thought a while, and I thought, well, if I'd been born on the West Coast, never met Barb, I was, I'm wired to be married, yeah, I suppose. And he said, so you're saying that where God places you and the people that he puts into your life could influence your decision? I said, yeah. And he said, well, God has put people into your life that have recognized things about you and encourage you to go a certain direction, do you not think he could move you from where you are now into pastoral ministry? That's a good question. And so you did have people in your life who were saying, hey, Jim, I see this in you. I, I see these gifts in you. I think you ought to consider being a pastor. Yeah, I, I did. And particularly three different men who were saying that to me. And I and I think, by the way, I think that's a really important point. Yeah, that's why I was bringing it up. I think sometimes when guys say they're called into ministry, I want to ask, who else thinks that? Yeah. Right? Because I think there should be other people who are saying, I see this. Yeah, I think, I think in any case, leadership or individuals who are actively involved in a, a walk with Christ and are actively involved in the church ought to be affirming of anyone's call, mm-hmm. if they feel they're, they're called, yeah. Okay, so you uh, then... Go home, tell Barb, talk to Barb. Yeah. She's she says, Yeah, I'm all in I'm all in. No, she says she looked at me like I was crazy. Okay. Because as I said before, we had one child. Right. Right. She's pregnant with the next. I'm just beginning a career as a teacher. It seemed like you had outgrown the transitory phase where we're exactly. rooted, where yeah. Right? Exactly. And she says, I think you're well, she didn't tell me. I could tell by the look on her face, she thought I was crazy, that the kids had gotten to me, the kids I was, I was teaching. So I thought, you know, if she doesn't sense the affirmation, then maybe I'm reading something wrong. Right. Because, you know, we all of us around this, this table recognize when we do weddings, what do we say? The two are no longer uh, individuals, but they become one in this marriage relationship. And I thought, well... If God's calling me, he's certainly going to affirm that through my wife. And so I thought, well, I'm just not going to push this because maybe I'm reading it wrong. And through a number of events, I went back to teaching another year, and then I worked at a Christian summer camp. Barb was with me at that. And uh, through things unrelated to me, she, she formed a friendship with a, a lady who was uh, the wife of one of the pastors at the camp and began a conversation that began to work in her. And after that summer, she, she said, okay, remember that you're talking about going into ministry? She says, I'm all in. Wow. And from there we headed. So then you head to seminary, you get your degree uh, three years? Yeah, three and years. Then, and then what? Well, then I, 
I was uh, halfway through my last semester. Uh, I had <laughs> I had done reasonably well, so I didn't have to take final exams, which gave me an opportunity to look at um, ministry opportunities. And there were a number in the Midwest that I had visited, small works, but none that really resonated. And then probably, I don't know, maybe a month and a half or so before uh, graduation, I got a call from the church that I had come from, the church that I'd come, uh, come to Christ in, and um, was asked to come back as an intern. And I thought, boy, this is great because I get to mentor and learn under people who had experience, people that I, that I knew reasonably well, and um, that I could learn from. And so we came back to Northeastern Ohio and began an internship uh, in that church. And eventually, it was supposed to be a year, uh, this church was growing. I was asked to become part of the staff. Um, and uh, so I did. And then— You guys had to be pretty poor. <laughs> three years of seminary, you're yeah. trying to work, stuff, and then into an internship. Kids, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was, uh, it was, yeah. We didn't have a lot of stuff. It was, it was pretty slim. But, you know, neither Barb nor I felt like we were somehow losing out. Right. Yeah. Uh, and I think, again, I'm talking to guys who are pastors, and I think you agree whether you're doing very well. Uh, in a material sense or not, if you're where God wants you, it's it's a joy. And, right. and again, going somewhat mystical, God provided yeah. everything that we needed. It's it, it should be a whole nother podcast. It, it would be because yeah. it it is a wonderful story of contentment. Yeah. So right. fast forward to uh, you're at this large church. Yes, and you are. I know that it's uh, it's the chapel. At, what was the chapel at Fir Hill? Right now, the chapel at, in Akron, and uh, you have a segment that of like an area that you're in charge of, or yeah. something like that, yeah. with an ABF and all that. And then you get a call. Exactly. So I'm responsible for the southeastern area of Summit County for essentially uh, community groups, or we call them circles. Right? So right. it's the same thing. People uh, doing life together, studying the Word of God together, praying together. So I'm responsible, and I'm out making calls on all those um, different groups in Southern Summit County and on into Stark. And I come home. It's in January. Pull into the garage, and as I do, my wife opens the door and says, uh, Hey, Jim, there's a guy who wants to talk to you. And so I grab the phone, and I... I hear this voice saying, uh, hi, my name is Jack Liskey. You don't know me, but... And then he starts talking to me about doing a Bible study uh, in Hudson. And I said, well, no, I, I really can't. They have another person who's responsible for Northern Summit County. You'll need to contact him. He said, well, no, we're not, really, uh, we're not really members. We're not in that. We're really interested in you. And I said, well, uh, you know, I really can't accept that I would have to check with the senior pastor at the chapel at the time, David Burnham, and and he said, why would you do that and get back to me? Mm-hmm. And so we talked for a little while longer, and in the middle of it, I said, you know, it sounds like you want to start a church. And he goes, oh, no, 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 we're not, we just would like you to come and do this Bible study. So I 
checked with David, asked for permission. He gave it. And I just wanted to say in that, you know, one of the things I think all of us who work with you would affirm about you and the culture you helped create here is that ministry with an open hand. And there you are, even at a young stage in your career, basically having a guy say, hey, we think you're impressive. We we want you to do this. We want, I want the other guy. We want you. And, you know, and you're saying, I need to check with, you know, I report to somebody. I'm part of something, part of a team. Thanks yeah. for the flattery. But I need to, you know, just squares with even early on you saying... Hey, I, you know, I'm part of a team, and I need to make sure that's okay with everybody. Have you? That's, that's um, kind. How, how did Jack find you? Just out of curiosity, oh, you ever talked to him about that? Yeah. Well, thanks for asking that. I, I uh, happened to be filling the pulpit one Sunday for uh, Dave Burnham. He was away, and I was asked to uh, preach that morning. Happened to be preaching on Psalm 139, which is a story in itself. Another podcast, um, and. Uh, Jack and Becky happened to be in the uh, congregation at the time and heard me speak. And apparently the story goes that Becky leaned over to Jack and said, that guy would make a good pastor someday. And from there, they that's how he hmm. found me. Okay, so how old are you at this time? <clears throat> uh, just turned 30. Okay, so uh, you're 30 years old. Uh, Jack is probably... Jack would be 38. 38 at that time? Okay, so Jack... Calls you, so you. Uh, we're gonna fast forward, okay? To so you start going coming up to Hudson uh, to have this Bible study. It does become apparent that they want to start a church, right? Right. So you decide to start a church. So now you've gone from having a stable job, being a stableish, an intern. And oh no, industrial. I'm going back job. to yeah. industrial arts, <laughs> okay. yeah. right? Then you decide to give that up uh, for the instability of going into another profession or, or training for another posi- uh, profession with no guarantees. You finish that up. You come back to an internship. Then you finally, you get a real job there, right? <laughs> yes. And you finally have security with a large church where you're oh, yeah. going to paycheck every two weeks. And then you go to a group of, what, 30? There were 30 people, 35 people yeah. that say, we want to start a church. Uh, and tell everybody about the, that when you know the the thing of passing papers around to say yeah, this is how much you'll give for sure. a year to see if and if we have this number we know we we're gonna we will launch sure. we'll try to do this. Well, if I may, let me give you the lead up because that's really important because the chapel had started uh, a couple of other churches earlier, right? Uh, a few years earlier. And I thought, having been there and demonstrated a reasonable uh, level of responsibility, that maybe there'd be some financial little little some some for the effort. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And so I was bold enough to go to Dave Burnham and and say, would the chapel be interested in supporting the work for you know a year, maybe two years? And he said, well, Jim. Uh, we will support you with our prayer and encouragement, but there's essentially said there's no money coming. So <laughs> that put us yeah. in a whole. Now at that point, had you left staff at the chapel, or you no? I was staff, still. But I you're was thinking about potentially. I, I, okay, yeah. gotcha. Okay. Yeah, this this. By the way, the beginning, and maybe we'll get to it today, maybe not. But the beginning of of uh, what is now Christ Community Chapel happened rapidly. Yeah, like in yeah. less than six months. Okay, which is. Crazy, yeah. But right. 
that's a whole other story. But back to what you had asked, um, Joe, when we finally decided, we had done this study for four weeks and then began forming the church or forming the basis for the church, but we knew we had to have some resources, financial resources, in order to rent a facility uh, and to pay me something. And uh, so we met at the town hall in Hudson with a group of people that were invited who had uh, shown some level of interest. And uh, we said, what we're asking you to do is commit to two things. One, commit to attending and being engaged in serving in some capacity. And two, committing financial resources. The financial resource part, we said, if you could write the number that you're willing to give for the first year um, and then just put it in the this little box we're going to send around, and then um, Jack Liskey and Frank Zamatero, we're going to count both s- of whom are still at are the still church, at the by church. The way, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. we're going to tally up the number, and so everybody's putting this in. We're thinking now we had set a goal, and you guys are going to probably laugh at this, but we thought if we could just have thirty thousand dollars of commitment the first year. We can make a go of it. Yeah. And so everybody puts a number in the uh, on a piece of paper, puts it in the in the box. And so the thinking is if it comes back at twenty five five, you can't do it. We can't it's do it. It's a Bible study. Yeah. It can't become yeah. anything yeah. more than that. Okay. We can continue to do something, okay. yeah. but we can't start something right. that we're yeah. gonna have a full time okay. minister and all that. So okay. or a facility to meet in yeah. other than a home. So they go back. We're all waiting, kind of chatting. Um, Jack, who is a, an emotional guy to this day, comes back, and I can see tears running down his face. And I know right away that we, we hit 30 because they weren't sad tears. They were really tears of joy. And he comes in that, those of you who know him know his excited voice. It's kind of high-pitched, and he was going, we got a commitment of $40,000, which was $10,000 over what we needed. And uh, we were just celebrating and we said, okay, we're going to go. So, and that was what month? Well, when we did that, that was uh, April. And you, and you started the church in June. That's right. <laughs> Quick turnaround. Yeah. Quick turnaround. Once yeah. you had it, couldn't wait. Couldn't yeah. wait. Well, yeah. we, we, we had set that down. Now, everybody knows today you never start a church at the beginning of summer. Yeah, uh, it's just people not, are traveling. Yeah, they're, they're traveling. Yeah. But we we did. Yeah, and you certainly don't start a church from the first time you talk to a guy in late January. Yeah, you don't start at June seventh of that same year. Yeah, it's, it gives me uh, great comfort. You started right away doing stuff wrong. We're still doing stuff wrong, <laughs> and it's working somehow. Yeah, so I, good. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. But it just goes to show that in God had been preparing a group of people. He had kind of been preparing the ground. So what felt fast for you is a little bit because uh, he had already been laying the work, whether it was in uh, the Liskey's hearts or yeah. the people's hearts who would end up contributing. And Yeah, without question. I mean, God was doing something in Hudson mm-hmm. and through uh, the Liskey's and a number of other people who were involved in sharing their faith, mm-hmm. of talking about Jesus of saying this was where you could find hope, even in the midst of what would be considered a, a reasonably affluent community. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, the ground had already been prepared. 
and it was just a need for a gospel-centered church. So I can imagine, you know, the first two to three years, even the first five years, probably pretty exciting, probably pretty wild ride. What are some of that, as you think back to those very early sort of formational stages of what was then Hudson Community Chapel, what are some of the memories that come to mind, your favorite stories, the good times, harder times? Can you tell us, what was that like, launching a church essentially from scratch? Well, if you can remember, (laughs) you certainly can remember being 30. Uh, You're probably much more mature than uh, than I was at that age. Uh, I know, Jimmy, that's not true. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks for that. Um, You know, there... Jimmy, there are so many things. I, I remember one particular day where I kind of got the idea that this might be a, a really good thing, other than just a dream of of a couple dozen people. I was walking out of a Sunday morning. We had begun services at the Barlow Community Center, and we were my wife and I and our three little girls were walking to our car, and behind me I heard a little child, I think it was a little girl, as I recall, saying to her parents, Mommy, can we come back here next week? And when I heard that, I knew we were doing something right. Now, that wasn't, it wasn't about me, obviously. It was about the people who had given their time to be with kids and to teach them and to sing with them. Those kids wanted to come back. Mm. That's that, an interesting memory to have 40 years later. Yeah. You know? What an interesting thing that God would give you. Not You wouldn't think of that as being something. You know, there are different things in ministry that keep us going. Right. Right. And you have something that God gave you 40 years ago to say, don't, don't forget this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That same year, uh, we started in June. And in August, my father died suddenly of a, a, a massive heart attack. And... That was the first time I'd, I mean, I had good friends around me, but uh, good support. And my dad and I had had somewhat of a, an estranged relationship as I was growing up, but we were just reestablishing a solid uh, relationship. And when he died, I uh, suddenly like that, I all of a sudden felt really alone for the first time. So that that's pinned, that's really stuck in my mind. But I think of first weddings, <laughs> uh, you know, baby dedications for the first time, baptizing. We had to find a place to baptize. We were able to a church uh, that held to baptismal regeneration. Uh, that's always convenient because they're usually their baptistry tanks are always full. Mm-hmm. So uh, we were able to do that. One of the probably the um, that's still strong in my memory and probably has some good things to it, but also some bad, was um, a major crisis in 1985 that essentially split the church in half. Uh, we were really on a, if you will, a, a growth mode. We were moving strong. We were up over 200 people. And then um, a crisis in leadership. Uh, and it was really rest on my shoulders. Um, I... I learned a great deal from that. I mean, there was a lot of hurt. Uh, My wife was hurt deeply by it, uh, as you all might guess. Um, But I learned something. That's when my ministry really shifted from preaching so that I might please 
the people, the particularly a group of people listening, to realizing that that wasn't my calling. My calling was to to lead a church, to shepherd, even when sometimes it would be hard and have to say hard things. You couldn't always be loved, and pastors know that. Um, but the church was split. Yeah, and to be clear, I mean, because that's kind of, you left uh, some ambiguity there, and I don't want people to think the wrong thing. There was uh, an uprising. Uh, there was lay leadership that didn't feel like you should be the pastor. That's correct. Yeah. And so they kind of led this charge to get you ousted. You uh, resigned. Yes, I did. To just say, okay, maybe you're right. And then the rest of the of the membership rose up to say, what's happening? And then they reinstated you. <laughs> and then that caused this kind of schism between uh, uh, one half and the other half. And then uh, yeah. there was a real rebellion and half more than half the congregation left. Yeah. And then you're left with 80 people and uh, a torn up heart and a torn up spouse, and you were thinking, uh, maybe I go someplace else, right? Who wouldn't think that, right? And you decided to stay. Yeah, that was, uh, my wife, Barb, wanted to go. Uh, uh, And um, we went through some really difficult, but I figured, you know, you got a new start that doesn't even have a, a permanent location. I mean, we're still meeting in the Barlow Center. We've lost half the people. And I thought, okay, I need to stay and at least bring some stability to work as hard as I can to stabilize the congregation. Because frankly, how many of you guys sitting here would look at a church like that and go, oh, yeah, I'm going to go there? (laughs) Only 80 people, no building, (laughs) and they recently had a coup against the former pastor. Yeah, Yeah. no no one's going to. So I thought if if I can just stabilize it, and please, I'm not trying to say that I somehow have this incredible nobility. I don't. It's just that I care deeply for the church, this one particularly, but the church universally. And uh, so I thought I'll stabilize it and then move on. In fact, I had a was invited to a, a church uh, to speak, and people, they were all over the place, and they wanted me to come, and we could go into detail. I won't, but I thought, yeah, okay. But God wouldn't let me. And... Um, and in 1987, I had a, one of the elders, there were two elders that remained after the split. And this elder came to me, and a wonderful man, his name was Mark, and he said, and he did it lovingly, he said, Jim, you need to lead or get out of the way. Mm. And it was like a guy hit me with a two-by-four, and it got my attention. Saying, so you're not doing this any favors if you just stick around. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and so we started setting... Uh, goals for we already had property goals to build and that summer we broke ground in 87 to uh, start or I'm sorry 86 broke ground in 86 to start building um, there's so many pieces you know I even as we're talking about it, there are things racing around in my head that uh, would take us the rest of the day to talk about them all 
And that property would have been on Stowe Road? Right. That would have been the the one that's the Catholic school. That's correct. Just for people who are listening to this and don't know, they may drive by that building and not know that was the original location. Yep, that was the original location. (laughs) So you start the church. When did Joe come into the picture? How did you all get connected? Um, And then uh, how did that relationship develop? You know, that's another great story from my – another great memory that I have. Um, Actually, I was in – Joe was being considered for the chaplain at Cauga Valley Christian Academy, which is not too far from here. And um, the board had asked me to interview him for for his doctoral prowess, and I'll let that up to you as to whether or not um, he has demonstrated that. I was – I met him – uh, in a room just off what is now the middle school gym, I think. Uh, we sat, we, I guess we met for what, about an hour and a half? Yeah. At CVCA. At CVCA. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And all it was is to find out yeah. is he theologically Assess fit. Yeah. And uh, I'll borrow Joe's term because it's true. We walked out of there friends. Hmm. Uh, uh, I went to a meeting later with the board because they wanted to know my assessment. And so I gave them my assessment and affirmed his theological uh, orthodoxy and what I my impressions. And they, they asked me that particular question they would ask anyone, well, um, should we hire him? And my exact words were, if you don't hire him, I will. Hmm. And, and this uh, would have been when? 89. Yeah, and then uh, I know that we, uh, I needed a mentor and we hit it off. So we started meeting uh, every Wednesday for breakfast uh, at seven o'clock in the morning. And we did that for the next 30 years. Yeah. So yeah. Um, wow. Every, every Wednesday. And we, you can track how long it's been by uh, what we, what we had back when we first started, we would both have Versus two, what you have two big old donuts and everything. And then, and then we went to coffee. I've been through the Atkins diet with Jim where all he'd eat was beef and cheese or something. It was terrible. And was now delicious. it's like we, we will meet and just Better have cantaloupe. No, and, uh, yeah. Metamucil. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And prune juice. Yeah. And we're good. Uh, so it was just a natural affinity when you guys met and, and just clicked and, yeah, and and we are very different. Yeah. Um, I mean, we, you know, he he plays that that he played that game of basketball, which, I mean, what really I don't really get. And I played a different sport, and and uh, he is a um, a very gifted uh, communicator, and I'm more of a teacher. Um, so there's a lot of different, but a lot of similarities because because as I've known Joe longer than anybody other than his wife, and um, there's no one who loves God's word or loves the church more than that man. So at what point did you go from those Wednesday mornings and Joe being at CBCA to actually having him begin to be involved at, yeah. at what would have been Hudson Community Church. That's a little foggy in my head, but yeah. <laughs> I don't I don't remember the exact... Like the I think exact, it was, like what brought it about? Yeah. Or the, well, yeah. no, no, no. I know what brought it about, okay. the, the timing. I think okay. it was within a year or so okay. it, because as we were, we were still in a growing stage. I mean, we didn't have a lot of financial resources, and part of it was I knew that... Joe, as a chaplain in a Christian school, wasn't exactly at the top of the 
yeah. the pay effect, scale. Yeah. So uh, I thought, well, I've got that leverage, and I and we we the church really needed someone to direct our student ministries, mm-hmm. and Joe had experience in that. So uh, it wasn't a matter of knowing if he could do it or not. Just I just we needed it, and I thought, sure. And so he joined the staff in a part-time role, um, and that eventually uh, evolved into a full-time role because I got to the point where I was beginning to recognize um, his giftedness and what I felt was going to be a really significant addition to the to the church. So I was trying to convince him to to leave. CVCA fans, please don't attack me, but. I, I, I wanted to pull him away from CBCA uh, and bring him full time uh, to to what was then Hudson Community Chapel, now Christ Community Chapel. And eventually, he I think he gave in, uh, or I was so convincing. I think it was more he got tired of me asking, and um, joined the staff. And again, we we complemented, I believe, each other so well that he brought strengths that I didn't have, and I added strengths to what he didn't have. And we eventually, uh, probably by the late, the late 90s at least, uh, even earlier, mid-90s, mid we were essentially making decisions together. He was, he was an associate at the time. I was the senior uh, pastor. But we were, we, by the end of, really by the time we finished the building we're in right now, um, we were, we were essentially functioning as co-pastors. We didn't call it that. I don't. I don't recall. Do you? I think by two thousand we might have. I don't uh, because yeah. Well, I don't know because two thousand one is when you went on sabbatical. Just because I remember it was nine eleven when you got back. That's right. Right. So that's right. Yeah. And, and by the way, that I think the the fact that I I can't tell you when that shifted mm-hmm. is something that we've always done here at Christ Community Chapel, and I think we still do, and that is that we um, we don't operate by title. We operate by giftedness. And, um, Zach, that gets back into that open-handedness. Yeah. Uh, I, think, I think you have to do it that way. There's risks, obviously, but I think you have to do ministry like that if, if you're in it for what God wants to do in his church. Well, and I think when you do it like that and you have done it like that, the whole time I've known you, it, it, it does unleash um, a potential in people and makes people want to come and be a part of it. And uh, those of us who have worked uh, underneath you and then with you and then uh, have all, I think, uh, benefited from that and then the community at large. So we, I think we started really uh, growing because of that. So we got to use our gifts where we felt like we were the most uh, gifted. Well, that's where one of those things like those Wednesday morning breakfasts actually feature pretty prominently into the story because that's where you guys were building relationships trust. and trust, mm-hmm. which right. allowed you then to be open-handed and say, hey, whatever, whoever makes the most sense to take on any particular uh, task, let's right. do that because we, we trust each other, we love each other, we want to move forward together. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah so it seems like this transition of leadership from you to Joe is sort of taking place organically. And from my perspective, now granted, this is a while back in the past, I wasn't here when it happened, but looking back, it seems like it was pretty seamless, which is extremely abnormal 
for a transition of a church leader. Can you tell us a little bit more about why do you think that is? What and what was going through you know your heart and mind as you kind of navigated this? How did you realize that actually Joe was your successor and you needed to begin to give him more and more leadership? What was that like for you? Um, let's talk about the seamless part first because I think that is something that. Um, I will always cherish uh, most churches I've found, and I've uh, since since stepping away from a leadership role. I've been involved in helping other churches with in crisis, and um, it seems like every church, if when they make a transition, whether it's a, a man retiring or simply resigning, whatever, there's always this blip on the screen where the man leaves. He makes his announcement, he leaves, and people start getting a little panicky, and then the new guy comes in, and if they don't have an interim, that new guy can be the, if you will, the sacrificial lamb and be gone in a couple of years, or he can push through and do well, but there's always a blip. And again, it gets back to what's more important, the the man or the church, the body of Christ, or the, if you look at First Peter 5, you know, Peter, he's shepherd the flock, it's God's flock, and, um, so I think part of it was the fact that I knew that I was not the one that was going to be able to take the church any further than where we had gotten to. I'm just, I, it's just the way I'm wired. It's nothing good or bad about it. It's just the way it is. Joe is— Well, and it had come a long way. I mean, that's not oh, yeah. scary. I mean, you had started it from nothing to to what it was. Well, so. <laughs> thanks. Yeah. But— but but back, but actually, yeah, it, it, that's true. I'm sorry for stuttering here, but um, there are a few things that become very, very apparent. Now, I would be lying to say there wasn't pain involved sure. because all of us here have egos, and anybody listening has an ego. And when you, when you have been in that lead chair and whether you're told – there needs to be transition, or you come to that realization yourself, it, it does some stuff inside you. And so, yeah, it, did it, was it just so comforting that I go, oh, Joe, <laughs> I'm so happy that I'm going to turn all this over. You know, no, I, I liked being in that lead chair. Um, but see, that's, that can be really dangerous. If you, if you love the lead chair as a pastor— if you love the lead chair more than you love the church, you might as well, you might as well hang it up. Yeah. Be- well, I think uh, when you know, we went through this, you know, and we would have different uh, bloodletting times, uh, more you than me, because uh, it was you were making the sacrifice. But I still remember a time when you were when. Uh, one of the things that you were always doing was uh, wrestling with God and letting God do the surgery on you, whatever that surgery had to be. I remember you telling me one time that you were uh, going through one of those times where God was dealing with you and your uh, ego, whatever it was, and you said you sat down in your chair to have your quiet time and you told God, I'm only going to do this if you're going to be nice today. <laughs> that was the best line because I thought uh, there's a guy that uh, that has a relationship with God that is such a great relationship. And I thought uh, that's one of the reasons that uh, for me, I have always uh, loved you and also 
loved being mentored by you because that is a great, great statement, I think. Yeah, I actually think it's really good. You know, this church, that that transition story is an amazing one. And if you've been at this church the whole time, in some sense, you know that better than anyone. In another sense, you don't know that well at all because it's the only one you've you've seen. Um, it's a very rare thing, as evidence the fact that we're doing this podcast and you're both working here and you're, you're friends and even after. But I think it's good for you to say that doesn't mean it was easy no. or, or painless, right? Because it would be easy. I think yeah. for a guy like me who wasn't here, they go, well, it looked like it went so well. It must have been easy and painless, and but to say, no, it, it was good and it was worthwhile. It was what the Lord wanted, is what the church needed, but it was, it was still painful. Yeah, I remember being at Starbucks that one time. Right, We walked out of Starbucks. We had had this rough <laughs> meeting, and he uh, looked over his car, and I thought, he's going to tell me to, to go find a job, that to just go get your own church because he's done. And he looked at me and then he got in his car and drove away and I survived for another day. So yeah, it was, yeah, there were some interesting, but uh, boy, to be able to see what God's uh, done has been great. I have a lot of flaws uh, and I could, I could list them out for you. But when you told that story, I was thinking the one, it reminds me, the one, the one thing that I think I do really well, at least as a, from that point on, is that I l- I've learned how to hold my tongue pretty well, yeah. particularly when I'm about to uh, strike. Um, and Joe, you and I have talked about a little bit about my past, your past, and uh, some of the stuff we were saved from when we came to, right. to faith. And I was not a nice man. And... Um, <laughs> Yeah, there were probably <laughs> that was probably a risk. It's a good thing I was on the other side of my yeah, car. Right. Yeah, yeah, we had a couple of cars between us, so, so I was ready to, <laughs> to dodge. You're also probably pretty agile. At that point. <laughs> he, he, yeah. he was always agile, much much more agile than me. So, Jim, in the second chapter, then, so you know, Joe steps into that lead yeah. role, and uh, of course, you were here, and then you were helping other churches, right. and then you were back, and kind of as you look over that second chapter, what has the view from your you know, your position, Ben. I mean, I, I know you and I have often talked to one church planner to another. I mean, there's a uh, a certain relationship you have with Christ Community Chapel that no one will ever have, right? Because you you started it. Um, so what has it been like to be around this church that you started and to see it, you know, become what it's become and, and kind of have the view that you have? What, what sticks with you? Oh, my goodness. Um... There are so you know. There's the the positive and the negative. You, I, I I would hope people understand that pastors. This will sound self-serving, but pastors have a hard job. I mean, it, because you're walking through life with people. Um, you're there when children are born. You're there when children graduate. You're there when parents die. Uh, you're there through some of the most glorious times and some of the most difficult times. Um, and then there are the sad times when people that you care about, that you've ministered with or to, who decide they're going to go somewhere else, uh, or they simply move uh, because of jobs or uh, circumstances. Um, and those are the tough things. But, you know, as for 40 years— I am always amazed that I've been been able to be a part of this. And when I when I look when I look at the few when I look at where we are right now, um, and 
there is there is our our doctrinal orthodoxy has been firm from the start. It is it has never changed. We have always been sensitive to our culture around us. We have not tried to say, okay, we're gonna do we're gonna do church like this all the time. And so from my perspective, when I look at where we are right now and some of the the vision going forward, particularly when, when I'm looking at a we're talking about a 30-year vision, that that is that is just amazing to me, but but so thrilling. And when I see the heart of it, you know, we we well, we talked about this, the reimagine uh, your life because of Jesus. I, I admittedly, reimagine I was trying to get my hands around it and I I finally have. I've I feel like, yeah, exactly. I mean, from the very beginning when we said we want people to come to know Jesus and grow in that relationship and serve him every day of their life. Okay. Isn't that what reimagining your life in Jesus is? Going, first of all, you come to him. You, your life is transformed by him, not by anything you do. And then you, he begins to, by the Holy Spirit, begins to build in you this character, this desire that we battle against. And, and that's your life being reimagined. It's being reshaped. And when I look to where I'm going to die a man who's just blessed, I mean, to think, number one, that the church has gone this long as a plant mm -hmm. by a young guy and a young group of people that knew nothing about church planting, mm -hmm. then has this solid, um, this solid footing with young guys like you, and even Joe, I'll count you young. <laughs> uh, the future is bright. I, I, I couldn't be more uh, pleased if. If that's important, I yeah. don't know that it is. Yeah, it uh, is. Yeah, I think it is. You know, I read a quote once by Isaac Newton. I think I've shared this with you before where, you know, someone had said to him, Isaac, how is it that you can see so much further down down the field of science than, than any of your contemporaries? And he said, well, if I do see further, it's because I stand on the shoulders of those who came before me. Mm -hmm. You know, his work was dependent on things other people had discovered, lessons other people had learned. And and I think that continuity of heart and mission is really important. I think even for us young guys of saying that you can look at it and say, yeah, language has changed or programs have changed. And that probably has to happen one generation to the next. But to say that, you know, the work that is going on now stands on the shoulders of the work that happened 40 years ago, right? Of people catching a vision to, to be part of what God was doing and saying that, that even if sometimes it feels as though, um, the exterior things have changed, that the interior things, the beliefs and the heart of the church are the same as they were when you were waiting to see oh. if you were gonna if people were gonna give enough money for there to be a church. Exactly. Yeah. Without question. I mean I have that that's one thing as I look forward uh, to what's gonna happen, which I won't have the opportunity to see, I know. I'm, I'm uh, to see it fulfilled. Um, but I look at the future with great confidence and know that someone, whether it's Joe or anyone else comes in and is going to completely undo everything that was done, that was firmly uh, assembled by the direction of God. Hmm. Um, that's not, what's happening is it's just being built on, 
on that solid footing of Jesus first and then the work of his people. And it's, it's going forward. I, I am I'm amazed at what God's doing, and I get to be a part of it. Well, Jim, looking back on uh, these last 40 years, on behalf of everyone, we want to thank you and Barb for uh, stepping out on faith uh, over and over again. Uh, but the, uh, the part of stepping out on faith that resulted in the planting of Christ Community Chapel uh, has meant uh, so much to uh, so many people. And uh, we are grateful for your faithfulness, for the way you have lived your lives and spent your lives, uh, the better part of your life, uh, these 40 years. So thanks. My pleasure. Really, my pleasure. And Barb's, certainly. I Can I just say, without her, yeah. without her beside me, uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be the man I am. And I certainly wouldn't have ever led anything like this. You've been listening to Church Unplugged, the podcast of Christ Community Chapel. In each episode, we're going to look at topics and questions that are related to our faith in Jesus and to the way that it plays out in everyday life. We want your feedback. We want your suggestions. If you've got ideas or questions that you'd like to hear answered on the show, you can email us at churchunplugged at ccchapel.com. We would love to hear from you. Thanks for listening.